All right, good morning. We can clap for that. That's good. So uh, I want to thank uh, specifically uh, several groups. Uh, one is if you are one of those volunteers, our uh, students and adults, we're so grateful for you giving your time and effort with that. But I also want to thank our Kidmen team. Uh, it's Whitney Coker, Christina Gardner, uh, uh, Mandy Zadopek and uh, Diane Manigold has been helping serve in an interim way in that, that time as well. So they're, they're not in here, but would you just give them a round of applause for all their leadership <laughs> and work, man. It's a, it's a big task to, to do VBS um, like that. Hey, turn uh, with me to Jonah chapter three. Um, actually not closing out the series today. I'll close it out next week. Um, but Jonah chapter three is where we're gonna be uh, today. As you're turning there, um, I wanna introduce uh, my parents. They're here, uh, Alan and Becky here on the second row uh, there. So you guys welcome them. I do that because my dad hates it. And like, it's like, okay, all those times I did stuff that I didn't want to do. Now you have to wave at people. But listen, if you know me and there's a, a sliver of anything that you feel is positive, they had a whole lot to do with that. Um, all the negative stuff is me and the influence of my in-laws for the past 20 years. Um, I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Uh, let's stand together. Jonah chapter three. <laughs> you can tell my wife's not in this service. All right. Jonah chapter three, at the end of our reading, uh, we recite this phrase, the very words to distinguish God's word from uh, my own today. It says, in the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was, exceed, was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose, arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast nor herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger and that, and that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them and he did not do it. You have a seat. So we pick up Jonah chapter three. So where we've been so far, Jonah chapter one, God calls to a prophet named Jonah. And he says to Jonah, hey, I want you to go to a place called Nineveh. And when you go to a place called Nineveh, I want you to call out against it a warning of judgment that is going to come upon them. Jonah says, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I despise the Ninevites. They're my enemy. So instead of going toward Nineveh, he goes the opposite direction away from Nineveh. 
God sends a great storm to encapsulate, encompass the boat that he had taken passage on. Uh, he, over time, determines and kind of figures out that he's the problem why the storm's there. So in, in some ways, out of mercy for the sailors that are there, he says, listen, just throw me over into the water and the storm will cease. They don't want to do that at first. They keep trying and rowing, but they finally decide they're going to throw him over. They throw him over. And then last week in chapter two, we saw that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. And we have in Jonah chapter two, his prayer, his psalm of how God delivered him from death and drowning and God rescued him. And he spent three days in the belly of the fish. He recognizes God's mercy for that. And we ended the end of chapter two where the, 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 the fish vomits him back onto dry land. And we talked a lot last week, as well as week before, Pastor Brian taught this, that, that the theme and the importance of the book of Jonah is not a fish. It's not Jonah himself at the end of the day. The, the theme is the mercy of God. And God's mercy and the mystery of God's mercy and grace all throughout our lives, as well as the, the, the struggle that we have as, as people to want to apply God's mercy in ways that may not be the same way that God wants to apply his mercy and to whom he wants to apply his mercy to. So we pick up in Jonah chapter three, God gives Jonah a second chance. We see that he comes to him again. And what I want to share with you this morning is I want to look at Jonah chapter three, because in Jonah chapter three, I see a, a, a picture of God's mercy for a sinful people. God's mercy for a sinful people. And the pattern or the way of mercy that we see developing in this passage. And I want to talk for a few minutes about what that has to do with you, what that has to do with me not being Ninevites and living here in League City in the Galveston area, in the Forby area in 2022. But you're taking notes, pull out your worship guide. Just kind of write this down. Here's the, the mercy of God for sinful people. Here's the pattern that we see develop. It begins with initiation. First, we see initiation, that God takes the initiative with Jonah and the Ninevites. That God is the one who takes the initiative. God always makes the first move. Look at Jonah chapter 3 in verse 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So God comes to Jonah again in chapter three, and we see parallelisms between Jonah chapter one and Jonah chapter three. We see basically the same word for word call that God gave to Jonah in Jonah chapter one. So now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and call out against it. He says, I want you to go. I want you to arise, go proclaim. But then we see a different response. That Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 3, sorry. He rose from, to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So we see in Jonah chapter 1, God calls Jonah to go. Jonah arises from where he is and he goes the opposite direction. Jonah chapter 3, we see the same call on Jonah's life, to go to Nineveh. But instead of rising up and fleeing, we see that Jonah goes where God told him to go. Now, if you were here the first week, Pastor Brian shared really that Jonah in this moment is not an example of willing God obedience. He's going begrudgingly. 
He's fulfilling simply religious duty, but he's doing the opposite of at least what he did on the first, in the first part. So through three days in the whale, um, all that kind of stuff, he's at least learned this, that he needs to follow God's command. But God initiates with him and gives him another chance to do what he called him to do the first time. And he goes over a 500-mile journey, about a month of travel to go to Nineveh. But we see God doesn't just initiate again with Jonah. He continues to initiate with the Ninevites. He makes the first move with them and continues to pursue them for repentance. Look at Jonah 3, 3. It said, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. So how big was Nineveh? Well, it took you three days to walk from one side to the other. It was a great city. And it says it was an exceedingly great city, which could refer to its size, its prominence, its importance in the area. But, but really, when you look at the original translation, it says this, that, that it was a great city to God. Well, why was Nineveh a great city to God? It wasn't a city that feared God. It wasn't a city that obeyed God. Well, it was a great city to God, really, because God cared for the Ninevites who had been created in his image. It was an important city to God because God had something in mind for the Ninevites that he wanted them to understand about his mercy and his grace. See, even even though Jonah went the opposite direction, even though Jonah maybe tried to derail God's plans for mercy for the Ninevites, God was steady and committed to the calling. He was steady and committed to to bringing a message of mercy to the Ninevites. And that should be good news for you and for me. Because if Jonah, a prophet of God, can't mess up God's plans, if God is bigger than that, if God is more committed than that to give us his message of grace and mercy, then there's very little we can do to mess up what God wants to do. God's mercy and grace is coming after us. God is the one who initiates when it comes to mercy. Second thing we see is not just the initiation that God takes the initiative, we see proclamation. That Jonah declares God's word to the people. Look at Jonah 3 verse 4. It says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. So he takes the word of the Lord to them, which is basically a word of warning. That in 40 days, God will come and he will overturn, he will overthrow, he will destroy the city. Now, Jonah wasn't coming with just his own message. He was coming with the message that God had given to him. Look back at Jonah chapter three, verse two. God said, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, what? The message that I tell you. The message that I tell you. He was taking the very words of God to the Ninevites and proclaiming God's word to them. Well, what was the message? It was a warning. It was a warning to, to, that they were going to be destroyed. Well, why were they going to be destroyed? Well, they were going to be destroyed because of the wickedness that they had done and that they were doing. Pastor Brian spoke in, in the very first week that, that Assyria was, was a violent and brutal place. You know, how they asserted power, how they administered their version of justice, how they did, didn't care for, for certain people. They would slaughter, they would enslave nations. And God warned them that because of this, that they would be destroyed. 
Now, it's interesting because you see Jonah going halfway into the city, proclaiming one sentence. So the question is, is that really all that Jonah said? It's all that we have recorded here. But in all likelihood, that was the, the, the summary, the encapsulation of the message. But Jonah probably had further conversations. Jonah walks into the city, declares this, and somebody's probably going to ask him, hey, hey, wait, 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 what do you mean? Hey, tell me more. And God delivered the message through Jonah. And so we see that God initiates his mercy. God proclaims a warning, and then the people respond. Well, how did they respond? We see that the Ninevites repented, that they repented of their sin. See, God initiates, God, Jonah proclaims the people respond. And they had a choice in that response. Do we listen to the warning of Jonah, who's bringing the warning of the God, of the, the Hebrews, the God of Israel? He's not our God. We don't, we don't worship him. We don't believe in him. But are we going to listen to this warning? Is there enough behind this that, that gives us the idea that we need to stop what we're doing and we need to do something differently? I think so. And we see that they, 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 they repent from the evil that they had been doing. So the question might be, why? Why would they repent at the words of this man, Jonah? I mean, can you imagine Jonah walking, you know, a day into the city and beginning to proclaim that everything and everyone around him would be destroyed by God in 40 days? You know, why was he not grabbed and thrown out? Why did they listen to him? I did some study this week and, and commentators and, and pastors have some different ideas, but really two things came to mind. Number one is this, is that the word of God is powerful. Remember, Jonah wasn't bringing his own opinions to the situation. He was bringing the word of God the message of God, the very words of God to the Ninevites. And the Bible tells us about itself time and time again that the word of the Lord is powerful. It is true. It is right. It is compelling. But we also see when you look at history and the context of what was going on in that time period around Nineveh and Assyria, you see this, that Assyria was in the midst of a time of weakness and vulnerability. They weren't as strong and powerful as they had been previously. History says they had experienced a, a series of famines and, and trials, so some disasters. And so they were, they were left at a place of vulnerability, which left them willing and, 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 and kind of in a position to maybe hear a message from God, the one true God. See, God was already on the scene before Jonah ever showed up. God was already at work, cultivating the ground, preparing the people before Jonah ever got there to bring his message. And so they repent. And in this, we see what I believe to be a model or an example of what it means to truly repent. Number one, here's what we see. It says that they believe God. Jonah 3, 5 says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. What did they believe? Well, they believed the person and character of God. They believed the message of God. They believed that what they were doing and had done had displeased God. And this belief led them to action. They hear God's word and they believed God in that moment. 
Second, the, the, the scripture says that they grieved their sin. We see that they not only believed God in his word, they grieved what God had revealed to them in that time. They grieved their sin. Look at Jonah 3, verse 5. It says, they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh. By the decree of the king of his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. So it says, at the message and the warning of Jonah, that they put on sackcloth, they begin to fast. We see that the king put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. And it's like, okay, well, what does that, that mean? What does it symbolize? Well, all of those actions are symbolic of grief in their culture, in their day. To take off their, their fine clothes or their normal clothes and put on sackcloth was to be in a place of mourning and, and repentance. To, to fast meant that, listen, we, we, need to, we need to seek and pray fervently and cry out to this God. And every part of their actions, those from the, it says from the least to the greatest, even the animals, the king said, everybody's wearing sackcloth because we are grieved because what we have learned about ourselves. And then third, it says this, that they turned from their sinful ways. They not only believed God and they grieved their sin, but they turned from their ways. Look at Jonah 3, verse 8. The king declared, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And he did this not with any kind of assurance or, 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 or certainty that it was going to make a difference, but they did it. Here's what he said. He says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. They heard the message of God proclaimed to him. They responded and they repented. They believed God. They grieved over their sin. And they called each other to turn from the violence and the ways that they had been living, hoping, hoping, hoping that God may show mercy in those moments. You might ask the question, were they just turning to avoid punishment? Were they genuinely believing God? Were they genuinely repenting, right? Everybody who has kids kind of knows the difference between being sorry and being sorry for being caught, right? It's like, ah, oh, dad, I'm sorry. Or are you sorry? Or are you sorry that you got caught, right? So when it comes to the Ninevites, were they truly sorry or were they just sorry that they got caught? Well, it's, it's hard to judge, right, the, 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 the person's heart. But what we see is, is that there was enough genuine repentance in this moment to move the heart of God. There's enough genuine repentance in this moment to, to move the heart of God. Because what, what do we see? We see the, the fourth part to the mercy of God for sinful people. We see mercy extended. We see mercy extended. That God relents from bringing the destruction that he had declared. Look at Jonah 3.10. It says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. They repented. 
in a genuine way, and God showed them mercy. God didn't do what he had said he was going to do. 40 days came, 40 days went, and the people weren't destroyed. God poured out his mercy on a sinful people. And we see that all throughout scripture. Psalm 103.8 says this, that the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. In this chapter, God revealed exactly who God always is. So what does that mean for us? Because once again, we have a specific circumstance about God's interaction with a specific prophet, with a specific group of people. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for me? We've made some observations. How do we apply these things to our life and take the word of God in a way that's going to make a difference in who we are and how we live? Well, here's what I believe, and it's this. If you're taking notes, write this down. That the same God who extended mercy to the Ninevites extends mercy to us. The same God we read about here in Jonah who extended mercy to the Ninevites is the same God who extends mercy to us. That God's response, God's mercy for a sinful people is not just for the Ninevites, it's for every sinful person. And that includes you, that includes me. The same pattern that we see in Jonah chapter three of initiation and proclamation of response and mercy is the same pattern that we see all throughout scripture. And at the end of the day, is really the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what this means for us is, is that God is the same in his mercy to them as he wants to be and offers to be for you and for me today. What does that look like? Well, we'll write these down. Number one, God still takes the initiative. God still takes the initiative. God is the one who makes the first move when it comes to his mercy for you and for me. God is the one who makes the first move. We see it all throughout scripture. I just, I kind of made a list. God creates the heavens and the earth. He's the one that does that. God creates man and woman in his own image. God gives them guidance, direction, and commands of here's how to live. Here's the right way to exist. He places them in the garden. He gives them purpose, meaning, and direction. When man sins, God begins a story of redemption. God calls Abraham to be the father of a great nation that would bless the world. God is the one who did that. God is the one who gives the law to the people. God sends the prophets to declare his word and the promise of a savior. God is the one who comes in Jesus to us. He's the one who lives a perfect life, dies a sacrificial death, is raised to new life, defeating sin and death forever. He is the one that makes salvation available to all who would believe. He's the one that commanded the disciples to go into all the world, making disciples, proclaiming the good news. He is the one who sent the Holy Spirit to dwell in the lives of his believers, his followers. He is the one who inspired men to write his word so we can have it. Thousands of years later, the very words of the message of God. He is the one who promised that he would come back. And he is the one who will make all things new. And none of that has anything to do with you and me. That is all God's initiative 
for us. It's all God's initiative for us. John 1.14 talks about, he says, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrases it this way. He says that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God is the one who made the first move. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we had done absolutely nothing to deserve mercy, to work for mercy, Christ died for us. There's a poem by an English poet named Francis Thompson. It's called The Hound of Heaven. It's this idea of God being like a hound who's pursuing us. Now, I've not done a whole lot of work with hounds. But I understand enough that when you put a hound on the scent, the hound doesn't stop until it finds what it's looking for. God is the one who pursues. Second, this is God is the one, right? God has given us his word. He gave his message to Jonah specifically for the Ninevites, but then God has also given us his word. He proclaims to us through the Bible who he is and what it means to live for him, the message of hope and grace and mercy. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God, meaning it is the very word of God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We don't have to wonder about who God is. We don't have to wonder about what is right, what is wrong. We don't have to wonder about what we can believe about him and trust about him. He's given all of that to us. Not only is he proclaimed through scripture, his word to us as his followers, he calls us like he did to Jonah to proclaim that same word, the message of hope, mercy, and grace to the world around us. Jesus said this in Mark 16, 15. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. See, we like Jonah have been sent, but not just to one place. We've been sent to share with all people. Third, we see this, that God still invites us to repent and respond. He still invites us to respond and repent. When we encounter God's word, he gives us his message. We have the same choice the Ninevites do and did. Do we listen and do we obey or do we, do we ignore and we continue to do the things that we want to do regardless of it? And that same model of what it means to repent is the same thing that we should do in our heart. When God brings his word to us and reveals to us where, where we have sinned in our life, where, where we have gotten off track in our life, that we should still believe God, believe who he is, believe in his word, trust in his warning. The second is we, sh we should grieve our sin. We should grieve our sin. Now, am I saying, should we bust out sackcloth and get some ashes and fast every time we make a mistake? Not necessarily. Those were just outward expressions of what was going on inside their heart. But I wonder this for my life, and, and I'll just include you in this as well, maybe. Do we grieve our sin? When we choose things that are against the way of God, the word of God, the command of God, when we sacrifice what he has for us and we choose something lesser, does that bother us? 
Now, I'm not saying that we, we don't live in freedom, that we're not loved unconditionally. I'm not saying that we should just be, you know, guilt-ridden all the time. But, but I wonder this, at times, do we take the, the grace and the mercy of God for granted? And we, do we take our sin and minimize what it truly is as rebellion to a holy God who has done so much for us to make a way for us to be saved and have eternal life? We should grieve our sin. And we should turn from our sinful ways. That when we are encountering God's word and he says, listen, this is the direction you're heading and it's not the way of, of life. It's not the way of righteousness. We should turn from that. But see, it's, it's important to know. And there's so many little things that you can dive into in this passage. That while the Ninevites genuinely responded and repented of their, their evil ways and how they, they applied justice and exerted power in those things. And they did so in such a way that, that the genuineness of that led God to relent and show mercy. There's no evidence that they became a nation of, of, of God followers. You don't see that they began to, to sacrifice to God in worship. You don't see that they begin to practice circumcision or, or they, they, they begin to, to do the other things that you see God's people, the nation of Israel doing, which leads many to believe that as a nation as a whole, they repented and they turned from their evil ways, but they never turned fully to God. And see, that's the true idea of repenting. It's not just a turning away from something. It's also a turning to something. See, we can feel bad about something we've done and we can turn away from that. We can become a better person. We can stop doing as much wrong things. But at the end of the day, that's only part of what it means to truly repent. See, true repentance is turning away from sin, but it's turning toward God as our Savior, as our Lord. See, we have the opportunity not just to follow the, the pattern of repentance we see in the Ninevites. We see that that was one part of that, an important part of that. But the, the question I have for you is this is, is not have you turned from sin, is, is, is where have you turned to? Who are you pursuing? Who are you going after? Who are you following? Jesus said it this way in Mark 1, 14 through 15. It says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repenting is the turning. Believing is the turning toward. So at the end of the day, it's not, hey, do I do less bad things than I did two months ago? It's am I following after Jesus? My loving him with my heart, with my soul, with my mind and my strength? Am I loving others as I love myself? Am I hearing his word? Am I obeying those things? Not just out of religious obligation and duty that we see Jonah doing, but am I truly doing that as one who is giving my life and my heart to him? First John 1 John 1.9 tells us that we confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise. See, we don't need to repent and turn just one time. 
We do repent and turn one time ultimately for salvation, but then relationship is that consistent repenting and turning, turning away from sin and turning back toward God. And we see the same thing happens when we do that, that God extends his mercy. God extends his mercy to us. One more verse, look at Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that you have been saved. The ultimate expression of God's mercy to a sinful people is that he has made salvation available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. We see that God took the initiative in Jonah chapter three, and God still takes the initiative today. God proclaimed his word to the people in Jonah chapter three. God still proclaims his word today. They had a choice to repent and respond. We have a choice to repent and respond. And when we do, God extends his mercy to us. So what is your response today? What is my response today? A couple things. Number one is you need to believe God. You need to believe in who God says he is. You need to believe in his son, Jesus. You need to trust him and his word when he declares that, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. We will be saved. Do you need to grieve your sin today? Do you need to feel for a moment the weight of what it means to live in rebellion to God? Do you need to repent and turn from your sin and turn to God? Maybe for the first time or maybe for the thousandth time today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are. That ultimately, like so much of scripture, it's not about the people involved or the circumstances alone. It's, It's ultimately about who you are and what we learn about you and your son, Jesus, through your word. And God, we see again in chapter three of Jonah, an example of your mercy for a sinful people. We see it expressed specifically to the Ninevites, but then God, we see the truth of that that's applicable to every person's life. Because if we're honest, God, we all have sinned and we fell short and we need you. So God, I pray for for my heart, my life today, and I pray for... God, those that are here in person, God, those that are watching online, those who may watch this at a, at a later date, God, that, that, that God, we would understand that you are a God who is full of mercy, that you've taken the initiative. You've given us your word so we can know truth and who you are. And you've given us a challenge and opportunity and invited us to repent, to turn away from sin, God, to turn to you in Jesus. And God, you've offered us your mercy. 
So God, as we respond in these moments, God, would you call us to respond and obey however you're leading us to? We just give this time to you. It's your name we pray.